Hello, I'm Paul Bainsfair, and this is the IPA podcast. Earlier this month, we lost one of advertising's most celebrated and much-loved people, Jeremy Bullmore, who sadly died at home aged 93. It's no exaggeration to say he was a legend in his own lifetime. Jeremy was a good friend of the IPA and was a frequent visitor and speaker here at Belgrave Square. To discuss why Jeremy was held in such high regard and to talk about what made him tick, I asked three of his friends from the world of advertising to join me to discuss the man described by Campaign Magazine as Adlan's greatest philosopher. We will be hearing from Caroline Marshall, who is editor of Campaign, had the brilliant idea of commissioning Jeremy to write an agony column for advertising people back in the 1990s. William Eccleshare, who spent many years at JWT working with Jeremy. And Amelia Tarod, who was one of the first graduates to win a place on WPP's much admired fellowship scheme where Jeremy became her mentor and then her friend. Well, here we are then with um, our three uh, panellists. Um, I'm going to start by asking each in turn how they got to know Jeremy, because um, they, they, they each have a different story to tell. Let, let me start with, um, with Caroline Marshall. Caroline, how did you first get to know Jeremy? Thanks, Paul. I met Jeremy in, properly met Jeremy in 1999 when I became editor of Campaign and looking to sort of do things my way, I wanted to hire some brilliant new columnists and uh, approached him and asked him to write um, the thing that eventually became Ask Jeremy, which was a very long running agony ankle column in campaign. So through that, we became uh, buddies and friends, much more than just editor and writer. Great, well, I, mean, I know we're coming, we're gonna come back to that because it's, um, it, I know that writing that column was something he really enjoyed and um, there's so much wisdom in that as well that we we'll, we'll maybe pick over the bands of that a little bit later on. Um, William, I think you actually worked in J. Walter Thompson with, with Jeremy, is that, is that right? Well, I joined JWT in the late 70s as a, as a graduate trainee, uh, just a couple of years after Jeremy had moved into the chairman role at JWT. So he was a kind of godlike figure in the agency uh, by the time I joined him. Um, and I mean, he, he was clearly a, a very, very remarkable communicator. And I think that's what one first felt just as a, as a tiny junior in the agency. But as I, as I uh, moved up the hierarchy, moved up the ranks in, in JWT, and got to know him better. Unlike some people, when you some gods, when you get to know them, Jeremy had no feet of clay at all. I mean, he was clearly a remarkable man and became a, a, a great friend over, you know, over 40 plus years. To work for, he was undoubtedly um, scary, I think is probably, I mean, very, very, very witty and very, very sharp, but I mean, my, my abiding memory of working for Jeremy was uh, when I was the account exec or account director on Mr. Kipling, a brand that Jeremy had effectively created along with Stephen King. And we were in serious danger of losing the business, which as you can imagine for, for JWT was a pretty terrifying prospect if you've created a brand and created a business for a client to be threatened with losing it because you failed to produce any decent advertising for quite a while uh, was, was not a good moment. Um, 
So I was brought in along with a few others to kind of rescue the account. Um, and with a pretty difficult marketing director, it has to be said, we, we came up with a, a truly awful campaign um, of uh, comedy, comedy cartoon bakers who were determined to steal Mr. Kipling's recipe. I mean, it was totally off-brand, totally dissonant with everything that Jeremy and Stephen had, had created. And um, the client loved it and we retained the business. And I got a message that Jeremy wanted to see this advertising. Um, and I was far too scared to actually go and present it to him. So I waited until I knew he'd left the building. I slipped the scripts under the door um, and just got a message the next day, which just said, William, this is exceedingly bad advertising. And, and that was Jeremy really, in, 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 to me in every way. I mean, it was both the fear and the wit and, and I just, I loved him for that too. <laughs> That's great. Uh, okay, Amelia, so you, you, um, you were on the famous WPP fellowship um, course. I, I, I was, I was, I, I always joke that um, I was very lucky because I was only the second year of it. So not that many people knew about it. So it was much, much easier to get on back then. Um, but I met Jeremy in 1996 um, when I was a third year um, uh, and he interviewed me. So I kind of, you know, got my sort of rucksack on and came down to London and um, met him in Farm Street um, and he interviewed me and kind of, you know, put me through my paces and um, offered me a WPP fellowship. Um, and then I guess it sounds like Caroline and, and, and William as well, which is then, you know, over the years, um, he he became a friend. And it, it's, it's kind of funny, even when I use the word friend, sometimes I, I was like, would Jeremy say that I was a friend? Was I, and actually, we, we, we were friends, we were friends. I mean, I was, I definitely knew my place. Um, I was Amelia too, um, Amelia one being Amelia Bullmore, his daughter. Um, so, you know, I definitely knew the kind of the limits, but he was, um, he was a real friend. And I, you know, again, like William, like Caroline, like so many others, um, was somebody that, you know, despite being old, technically old, he was old, was absolutely ageless. And age was the least important and the least interesting thing about him, um, which is why I think it was such a shock when I, you know, probably we'll talk about, you know, when, when I got the news, because I kind of thought that he would last forever and the friendship would carry on and the lunches would carry on. But um, yeah, it was back back in back in 96 in, in Farm Street was my first first J Jeremy encounter. Well, you I mean, you mentioned that he was actually old when you met him. I mean. And I, I want to talk to Caroline about the um, the best of Bulmer archive archive that she edited and put together, uh, which is on available on the WPP um, site, I believe. Um, and he started at JWT in 1954, which means he's a madman generation uh, guy. Which I mean, for all of us that have watched that on TV, that just seems like it's from a whole different era. And indeed, it was. But he was there at that time. And, and managed to stay usefully and gainfully employed, not only um, uh, at uh, JWT, but went on to, you know, to be a big figure at WPP, the holding company. So, Caroline, do you want, do you want to just talk a little bit about, about how you put that together and, and, and any, any pleasant surprises or, or interesting things? I mean, there are many interesting things, I know, but anything that, that strikes you about that? 
I mean, so many great surprises and such a great project to work on. And actually, to, to loop back to William's um, words just now, um, William, you didn't totally wreck the Mr. Kipling brand because uh, we discovered in the course of doing the archive that it's now sold in 10 countries across the world, including the United States. So clearly more powerful than anything you could personally wreck with your dreadful advertising. <laughs> did my best. <laughs> Um, yes, the story of the archive pool is that when Jeremy decided in his own words, age 91, to work from home in uh, the latter part of 2020, I guess, um, and obviously the pandemic had, had informed that and, and changed everyone's working life, um, WPP knew that they had this extraordinary individual with an incredible body of, of work. They wanted to celebrate his um, retirement in some way but obviously his work was held in by numerous different publishers in different places, physical archives at the History of Advertising Trust, um, numerous dusty boxes in his own office, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So um, the endeavor was a big one and we just wanted to pull together the story of this extraordinary um, you know, industry sage and philosopher who had for 67 years observed the industry from uh, madmen to the digital age so my job was to a really fantastic brief was to to go through the boxes and to you know use my knowledge and uh, to talk to people in the industry about what should be included and of course there was so much incredible material that we had to uh, whittle it down enormously we've probably published about two percent of his total output but um you know, you guys correct me if I'm wrong. I hope we found the good pieces and, and a good representation of his contribution. And he was involved in the process. I think it's amazing what you've done, Caroline. I mean, I I, I read quite a bit of Jeremy's work over, over the years and I thought I was pretty familiar, a, a good student, as it would as I would say. But I came across things in the archive which I had never never seen before. And it's just beautifully curated. It's incredibly easy to access. And um, I certainly couldn't have written the obituary that I wrote for Guardian without having had that resource. So thank you so much. And I think generations of advertising people will be grateful to you for, for pulling it together in such, a, in such a careful way. It's really great. Thank you. And actually a credit to the, to the, the small team was um, Alex Steer, another ex-fellow um, who's now um, uh, Chief Data Officer at Wonderman Thompson and his wife, Sarah, who's now CMO at Essence, and uh, a couple of other people. And the site was built by um, the successor to J. Walter Thompson, Wonderman Thompson. So uh, very much WPP you know, team effort. And uh, Chris Wade, head of comms there, also massively involved. I think even Jeremy, who could be a harsh critic, would have been um, incredibly, incredibly chuffed by it. Uh, yeah, he did see it, actually, and we had a, a, a small, um, tiny gathering in his um, then office at WPP, which the company has made into a really beautiful little library containing all his physical books, some of his quotes. It's going to be called the JB Room, and uh, he very much enjoyed just chewing the fat with us. That was in December, so not so long ago. The funny thing that reminds me of, as you say, about him is that he had, a, he had a, an interesting combination of being very modest and not really wanting any fuss and not wanting to be the center of attention, 
but actually being incredibly proud of what he'd done, wanting it properly recognized and wanting to make sure that people knew that he was, you know, the great person that he was. And it was a very interesting mixture, actually, to to observe in in a human being, I think. Yes, I agree. And actually, he I think he saw his role. Obviously, he enjoyed some aspects of the of the personal limelight, not many of them, but some of them. But I think he saw his role as a sort of marketer for the industry as a whole, you know, helping Mm. advertising be taken seriously in boardrooms. And I feel that Jeremy's sort of body of thinking and work really helped with that ongoing battle. And hopefully the website will help too. Well, it is, as, as William said, it's a remarkable job. And I, and I think this, the thing that strikes me, I mean, we're all lucky because we knew him, we met him, and some of the people that might hopefully be listening to, to us talk about him won't have had that privilege. And one of the things that struck me is how timeless a lot of the um, thoughts and wisdom and advice and everything that's, that's contained in those files is. I mean, it's just, I mean, maybe not, 100% of it, but 95% is as relevant today as it ever was. And particularly, and I want to ask, I'm coming to you in a minute, Amelia, but I do want to ask William this, uh, which is something about brands and the creation of brands. I mean, we talked about him being responsible for um, effectively creating Mr. Kipling, but he was very much a man who, and of course, we'll, I'm sure we'll mention the, the famous Stephen King and, and Jeremy Bullmore film, What is a Brand? But he really understood what a brand was and spoke a lot and wrote a lot about that. So I want to ask William, um, you know, for your take on, on his, his ability to explain to the layman, if you like, and, and in, indeed some clients, what a brand was and why it was so important. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you, if you look at Jeremy's kind of career, I think he, he started as a, as a writer. Um, he, he'd, he'd, dropped out of Oxford, having spent too much of his time writing reviews with Ned Sherin and not enough time studying, as he put it, um, and came to JWT just at the at the birth of commercial television in, in 54. Uh, did, did kind of 11 years active service in the, in the creative department uh, before becoming creative director for 10 years and then chairman for 10 years. And once he moved into the chairman role, he, he, he saw it as his task, really, to, to understand how advertising worked and to explain how it worked and became a kind of, I mean, the campaign called him Adland's greatest philosopher, which I, I think was a very good description because he wanted to, to think about and understand what it was that advertising was doing. And his key point, I think, as he started that that exploration was that advertising was about building that emotional relationship between consumer and product. And as he put it, every brand has a product at the center, but not every product is a brand. And it was about understanding how you could build that connection and that added value between consumer and, and, and product. And I think that's what he, that's what is at the heart of the What is a Brand film. And that was at the heart of, of so much of what I think he, he brought to our industry, that kind of understanding. I think in addition, he felt, to, to your earlier point, he felt that there was a responsibility that agencies had to 
build their clients' businesses, not just supply them with advertisements. And that was a, so much of what he, what he talked about was, how do you make sure that our clients understand the real value that we're bringing to their business? He, he, he wrote a, a wonderful ad for the FT, which is in, in the archive, the headline of which was, what the hell is an ad agency for? And he kind of explained that we weren't just there to, to craft the odd headline. And I think, you know, what, what he was, would have been proud of, was proud of, was the way in which JWT built businesses. It created After Eight for Roundtree Macintosh. It created the whole, you know, at that time, JWT would have had home economics, kitchens, packaging departments, design departments, research departments, which looked at the business and thought about how do we maximize the value of the capacity, the manufacturing capacity that this client has. That's how the Mr. Kipling brand was built, looking at Manor Bakeries and seeing how they could develop a, a branded cakes business. Those enduring brands that built value for their clients, that's what, you know, that's what he thought the business was there to do. And you've reminded me of a wonderful piece of research that was done uh, in the early days of uh, Mr. Kipling, when they they did a side by side with Lions cakes, um, and then to a matched panel, they took the Mr. Kipling cakes and put them in the Lions wrappers, and put the Lions cakes in the Mr. Kipling wrappers, and the Lions cakes in the Mr. Kipling wrappers. They're just as well as the Mr. Kipling cakes did, and Mr. Kipling cakes when they're in the Lions wrapper got voted down by the consumer. So that I mean, you've never heard such a brilliant exposition of what brand could be. But look, let's move on to Amelia. You were lucky enough to be a young ingenue coming into the business, a young graduate. And there you are. You you probably thought everybody was as clever as Jeremy when you, <laughs> when you found him as your mentor. But tell us a bit about what you learned from him and, and how you've applied that today, because we talked about him being timeless and, and giving advice that we can still refer to. But do you have anything you could you could you could add to that? I mean, I think you're, you're, you're right. I was so lucky. And as you're, when you're a youngster, you don't quite realise how lucky you are and you could be incredibly blase. And I remember my first year of the fellowship um, was, was actually at JWT. So the back, the back door of JWT um, at Barclay Square connected onto Farm Street and I would go down and, you know, on a Friday would go and have, a, you know, some fish and chips with him or um, a glass of wine at the punch bowl and, and kind of just thought that that was normal. Um, William, I think it was funny when you said, funny, bad word, I, this is the Jeremy, that's the wrong word, not the right word, it wasn't funny, it was absolutely apt when you said um, that he was a bit, he was a bit scary, um, and um, it always makes me think a lot of time when people kind of eulogise about Jeremy, sometimes I kind of think of him as the sort of the Werther's original grandpa, and people talk about his kindliness, and you know, he was forensic, and when I wrote um, the piece for the IPA um, about Jeremy, I, I kind of likened him a little bit to, to, to a surgeon's scalpel that he kind of digs and probes. And, and sometimes actually lunches with Jeremy could be, could be quite painful. Um, I mean, they were always fantastic and invigorating, but um, you definitely came away, you know, feeling that you'd been, put through something um, with, 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 with a Jeremy lunch. But I think the biggest thing for me with Jeremy was just how open 
and modern and curious he always was. So if I think, so I started in 97 um, and I was, I'd been a historian at university. So I don't think I'd ever, I don't think I'd ever been online. I wrote essays with a fountain pen. I'd kind of, but I knew, I knew as much that the internet was going to eat the world. It was so obvious back in 97. And, and actually I remember, you know, so this is almost 30 years ago, sitting, having the most interesting conversations with Jeremy about technology and the internet and different social media platforms. And, you know, this was well beyond before there were people in, in any of the agencies where I were, was working who, who was interested, but Jeremy always was. And, and I think, I think you're right to talk about his classic work in terms of, you know, what is a brand and, 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 and how brands are built and how they communicate. But, but I actually think when I look back and I think about his writing or our conversations, he was amazingly literate in terms of technology and what technology would do to the industry. And so far ahead of his time um, that I just, you know, I, I think it's really worth anyone who hasn't read a lot of Jeremy and everybody should have done, but, you know, go back to his writing and go back and sometimes look at the, look at the dates because I think people will be amazed yeah. by quite clear sighted he was so early on. I think there's two, I, I think that's absolutely right, Amelia. And I, I mean, one of the things Jeremy repeatedly said to me was stay current, make sure you stay current. And Jeremy was very, very clear that he took his own advice and he stayed current right, you know, right to the end. And the brilliant thing that Caroline did for Jeremy, in a sense, and did for us all, was give him that platform to show that he was absolutely as current in 2015 as he had been in 1965. And remember, you know, Jer Jeremy spent 33 years at J. Walter Thompson and had 34 years of career after he left J. Walter Thompson. So the kind of that balance of his, of his life that second, that second act was a massively important part of his life. And he, as, as Amelia says, he stayed absolutely on it uh, right, right to the end. And I, I, and I think that's a, a lesson for us all, you know, <laughs> stay, staying current and, and keeping with it. The other, the other thing, just if I may, picking up on, on Amelia and the, the point about lunches with Jeremy being... Um, being not necessarily um, unstressful, you always had to prepare, but he was intensely competitive. And part of what made him so interesting to be with is that he was always challenging because he wanted to win in the argument. And, and, and you, you always therefore came away feeling perhaps slightly defeated because Jeremy got another victory over you. And, you know, I, I said this in my in my obit and I'll, I'll say it again because I just thought it was wonderful after we, we were having a lunch to celebrate his, his 90th birthday. And he, he, he said, you know, I, I really do feel quite chuffed that I've outlived any of my contemporaries, really. Uh, and I've still got my wits about me, he said. And, and that was Jeremy. You know, he wanted even at the kind of the game of life, Jeremy was going to win. Uh, and I think, um, you know, the lunches, we used to have a, a bar at the eighth floor at JWT. And when you got senior enough, you, you went and had lunch with the, the senior management and Jeremy would invariably be there. And he would set a, a kind of a competition for lunch. 
uh, one one game that he actually talks about in one of the articles uh, it was Brandyside. So let's play Brandyside, he'd say. And he'd explain that the rules were, you've got to come up with a really good product extension for a brand that will destroy the parent brand. So let's have that game today, you know. And Jeremy would, of course, have thought about it for days or weeks. And, you know, you'd all throw in ideas. He said, mm, interesting. What about after eight bubblegum? That's the way you to destroy after eight. And you can, yeah, that's so brilliant, Jeremy. Why did we bother to throw in our useless ideas? So that kind of games playing and conversational jousting was at, was at the heart of a personality that was actually always, as Amelia said, curious, but always also very determined to show how clever he was. Yeah, and I think you've all mentioned the fact that he, despite his his incredible sort of natural easy charm and wit he always really prepared for everything um and i know that he interesting choice of word, agonized over the agony column that um perhaps caroline you could talk a little bit more about that because again a lot of people perhaps listening never read any of those but i had a quick flip through and i know they're on the um on the um archive that you put together or at least some of them are and some some of some of the um, pieces and pearls of wisdom that he dispenses are just wonderful. Um, tell us a little bit about that that experience with him. Yeah, I think the, um, the the process of creating it was sometimes quite painful because obviously while Jeremy was writing it, he was uh, a non-exec director of WPP for some of that time, so he was treading a very fine line really when opining about the industry. There was you know enormous competition, masses of consolidation going on in the industry and people were asking him questions about you know my agency just been bought I'm worried about being made redundant um but I suppose that the, the thread that ran through it and um you know he obviously delivered thousands of answers over the years and never even when he was on holiday Mr. Deadline he was very unusual for a journalist in that respect um <laughs> Was that once people had absorbed the advice they sort of knew what they had to do afterwards even if it was a very unpalatable thing to them it was always super super practical um and he whenever we we met to talk about his work he'd always go is it time caroline is it time to stop and i used to sometimes feel a bit cross because it was never ever time for him to stop as long as i was editor i absolutely loved him i knew that you know, young, middle, elderly readers all loved him too. But I think he was just that, you know, he had that creative insecurity, which is completely common in people with those kind of skills. But one thing we were talking about earlier was the Jeremy as a sort of deliverer of the unpalatable. And there was one um, speech which he wrote, I believe, jointly with Stephen King that I didn't find. And if anybody has a copy of it, I'd love to add it to the archive. And it was an example of him delivering to a very senior clients a message they didn't want to hear. And it was, I believe, um, delivered in the States. So where where's Kellogg's based, William? Battle Creek, Michigan. Yeah, Michigan. So it would have been to, to a very senior Kellogg's audience, probably in the 80s or 90s. Um, and it was a speech that written jointly with Stephen King. And I think it was called The Manufacturer Under Siege. And it was about the death of the brand and the rise of retailer-owned brands. Mm -hmm. Quite forward-thinking for its time. Maybe it was more the 70s in that case, because um, that would have been the early days of this happening. And um, 
the, the story I heard was that it, he was delivering such unpalatable truths to the board of Kellogg's that they said, we don't ever want to see this man again. We don't want to hear from him. Take him back to London where he belongs and we'll just carry on doing what we're doing. And, you know, who had the last laugh in that scenario, really? Um, so if anybody has a copy of that speech, I would absolutely love to see it and put it on the archive. I really hope that, uh, I've already mentioned this, but I hope people will go on to the archive because there are also things on there like um, 10 things you can do to really piss your client off and stuff like that. Very witty, but nevertheless, full of real, you know, useful information and, and ideas to avoid in that case. But uh, no, it's, 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 a, it's a wonderful thing you've done. Um, so how, um, how, how should we remember him? I mean, we talked about his personality and the fact that, you know, he, he was a bit beady and he wasn't always the life and soul of the party. And yet there's this unbelievable affection for him that, you know, is just everywhere. You speak to anyone that ever knew him or worked with him. Um, what, 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 do you, what, do you, what do you think? What would you say to someone who, who'd never uh, had the opportunity to meet him or work with him? How, how would we remember him? Anyone want to have a go at that? I didn't warn you about this question. That might be a to answer. Um, <laughs> I'll start if you like, because... Um... My answer would be very, very brief, actually. Um, I would remember him as a sage to companies and people and uh, just an incredible mentor to junior people entering the industry. Quite simply, that's him for me. I, I'd, back, <laughs> I'd back that up, Caroline. I mean, one, one of the things that I always found amazing is anybody who wanted to have a cup of tea, a cup of coffee or a lunch, just had to write to Jeremy, send, you know, an old, an old fashioned letter or an email. And he would always give up his time. He was so um, generous and respectful. Um, and maybe that's to William's point, it was about staying current um, because he was one of the best listeners that I think I know in the business. Um, he was an amazing listener in an industry of people who love the sound of their own voices. And his voice was amazing, but he always knew when and how to use it. And I have to say, I, I think there are so many lessons that we can all take from him. But I do think, Caroline, how he treated a younger generation and how he helps to lift people up but also learned from them. It was a totally symbiotic relationship. Actually, I bet if Jeremy was here, he would say that he would he got as much out of lunches with a 22-year-old grad as they did. And I'm sure, I'm sure he would say that actually. Yeah, I, I totally mm. agree. There's a wonderful chapter he wrote on, on listening. Uh, I think in um, the first of the book collections, there's a wonderful piece on listening. He, it was he was very, very very, very good on that. I think I, I'd agree with everything that uh, Amelia and Caroline have said, Paul. I would just add, I think, I think he made advertising and advertising agencies seem like really great places to be and made advertising seem like a really worthwhile and interesting thing to do with your life, um, which not many people achieve that kind of that, that sense for our industry and I think he really he really gave it something very special in terms of just making it feel 
thoughtful and interesting and special. Uh, so I think that was a really important legacy. And as a man, uh, he was you know, thoughtful, care, caring, decent, and just a, you know, a, he was a great man. He really was a great man and great person, maybe one should say, but he was, uh, and someone that, you know, one aspired to be like, I think. Yeah, and he had, a, I mean, I, I think one of the last conversations I had with him, we were talking about, um, digital advertising and the ability to micro target and you know really avoid wastage which of course um for many years in in the advertising world it was something you you know you were striving to to do and i was i was making the point that that's why so many clients were attracted to it today and he said oh yes you you know you reminded me i met a friend of mine the other day who um he'd been very successful and he um had an agency and he sold the agency and I saw him and said, how are things? He said, well, great, actually, I've just bought a new car. So I said, well, what car did you get? And he said, um, well, I got an Aston Martin. So Jeremy said, oh, that's nice. Why, why did you get an Aston Martin? And he said, well, I saw an advertisement when I was 12. You know? <laughs> and it was a brilliant way of just making real in everyday terms, you know, the value of brands, you know, reaching out to audiences beyond those that might actually end up being the, the customer. <laughs> Just just about Jeremy and, and advertising, because I think it's it's important if we if we if we're thinking, you know, long term about the 67 years of Jeremy's career that he, he did create. He did have a view about how advertising worked, which I think informed his whole life, which was about treating treating people with respect. Uh, he, 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 he wrote, the advertiser can only succeed if he earns the willing complicity of his audience. And that's how he treated people as well. To Amelia's point about listening, you know, he, he was somebody who treated his audience with enormous respect, whether they were a 21-year-old graduate, whether they were his driver, whether they were his client. He was somebody who, who got into the head of the person he was talking to and that's how he thought about advertising and if you look at you know even the work that jeremy created the, uh, the, the guinness poster i've never tried it because i don't like it was a is a great example of how he he understood that if you were going to persuade people you needed to be inside their head make sure that they would listen to you and that's how he thought advertising worked and i think that was you know, transformative for British advertising. And it's partly why, and I wouldn't give him sole credit, but it is why British advertising in the 60s and 70s was so far ahead of what was going on in the US at that time. And it's why J. Walter Thompson London became the kind of the jewel in the JWT crown, because it was doing something so different and so special. And I think that's a really important legacy um, so two thoughts there combined into one, which probably Jeremy wouldn't like. Yes, if, if there's one piece that I would recommend people read if they don't have the time to spend days and days on Jeremy's work, it's the um, essay and speech that he gave called Posh, Spice and Purcell. Oh, I knew you'd say that one, and I completely yeah. agree. It's just so wonderful, isn't it, Caroline? Classic, isn't it? Yeah, and that—I mean—the thought that I really remember from that is the um, 
the stupidity of separating your marketing from your product experience. It just really runs through the whole thing. The other thing that um, William reminded me of when he mentioned lunches with Jeremy was his um, something I used to find slightly frustrating, but I now absolutely see the value of was the difference between advertisements and advertising. Who remembers that debate? Yeah, yeah. Because actually it, it allows us to think about advertising as an economic force, not just as a series of executions, all sorts of different ways into the argument. I think he, uh, many a lunch table has been entertained by that. <laughs> it, it, it's so funny, Karen, when you talk about the posh vice and, and, and Purcell, the thing that always struck me about that was Jeremy was such a, I mean, he's such a, he was such an anti-snob. So the fact that he took the, the, the opening line from Victoria Beckham's autobiography. I mean, who knew that Victoria Beckham had an autobiography? Jeremy did. Um, and he would have been interested enough to pick it up and to go, here's a woman who's part of culture, and whether it's the Spice Girls or Brand Beckham, what's she doing? And, 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 and isn't that fantastic that very few people, I think, in the world would have read Victoria Beckham's autobiography, uh, but Jeremy was one of them, and then used that as a jumping off point, the, you know, I want to be as famous as Purcell Automatic, to, to actually think about a really interesting and clever concept and construct. And, and it sticks with you, the, the, the Posh Bison Purcell or the, the, the brands and birds and um, insights and refrigerators. They, all these, all these con the JB, the Jeremy sort of concepts are brilliant and they lodge in your in your brain and you remember them and, and you use them and they, and they and, and they grow and in his next article he'll very deliberately quote cp snow and schopenhauer to demonstrate his deep intellectual background as well i mean so he had it both ways which is always so so smart paul a, a quick question for you uh, jeremy was never president of the ipa was he was that no. because he was too busy on advertising association duties well he he you're quite right he was the chairman of the advertising association which represents the whole of the industry whereas the ipa really concentrates on the on the agencies but no he, he wasn't and oh i mean if he had ever been in the run it would have been before my time so i can't be blamed for him not being <laughs> but um no look thank you all of you for giving your time and talk and bringing to life really the, the great man who who I must admit looking back um, through all the photos and the archive he was a bit of a brand in his own right wasn't he in all those photos even going back 20 30 even more years the horn rim specs the um, the Brooks Brothers button down shirt you know he was a consistent image and in, 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 you know it really does help when you do that and build and it was no accident yes I'm sure I'm sure that's true. <laughs> Uh, anyway, look, you've been great. It's been it's been just a delight to talk about um, Jeremy uh, with you all, and um, I hope we've given people some incentive to 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 go to that archive, the best of all, more and and enjoy some more of his uh, his wit and wisdom themselves. But thank you all. <laughs>